Welcome back to the Illuminations Media Network. I'm Tamara, and I am super excited about our topic today. We're going to be looking into the absolute truth about American history. It may be very different from what you've been told, whether you are, quote unquote, a white American, a Black American, a Native, a Latino American, you may be surprised about your history, who you descended from, and the circumstances of their lives. Now, as you know, that type of history has been a real point of interest here on the Illuminations Media Network. Through the years, we have interviewed people such as Phil and Nelani Valentine, Dr. Jewel Pukram, uh, Umar Johnson, Sabir Bay. We've interviewed Dr. Delbert Blair. Oh my goodness, people from the Moorish Science Temple, Comedic Science. Um, there's just so much. And there's a huge movement towards understanding the Hebrew origin of our background, the Moorish origin, the indigenous Native American origin, which they may not be truly indigenous to this land. They may have immigrated as immigrated as well. And so looking into all this modgepodge of who we are is going to be super fascinating. And as our guests will tell you, the best way to find out who you truly are, no conjecture, do your genealogy. Then you know. Here on the Illuminations Media Network, bulk of our work is about spirituality. And definitely, spirituality is a huge part. It's actually the majority of who we are, that non-physical part. But today we're going to get into the physical part, that DNA of who we are descended from. And it's super important to understand uh, the lives and the experiences of those who are in our background, our great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers. You know, just looking at all the people who culminated who we are, that every generation that you go back, it adds two more grandmothers and grandfathers. So just imagine how many people you have descended from. And the healing aspect of this, of knowing the circumstances of their lives, knowing who they were, helps you to understand yourself. Because every experience that they went through, all of their cultural beliefs, the triumphs, the, the wars that were lost, you know, that the history is all stored in their DNA and it's also stored in your DNA. And so when you have certain traumas that go on, certain patterns in your life, we need to take a look at that so that we can reveal it and heal it. And the best way to reveal it is to look back into your genealogy. If you don't have family narratives that tell the stories, uh, first, second, third hand, you can look at the historical lives, the situations that people found themselves in when they arrived on the shores of America, whether they were indigenous servants, whether they were brought here as slaves, uh, whether they were people who were already here when the Spaniards first arrived. There were certain experiences that they went through, and these experiences are within you. 
They're right down inside of you. So when we can discover this information, then, oh my goodness, we can begin to reveal and heal the traumas that have taken place. Uh, here in America, we know that, that everyone has dealt with their traumas. Um, and the birthing of America, there were several wars. There were wars with the people who were living here already. There were wars um, between the Europeans who were fighting over territory. Uh, there were wars that took place. And the thing is, is that we've got to understand that everybody scratches to survive. Everybody scratched to make their mark here in this nation. And there was a different type of economic structure that was going on. Um, I found that, that many of my ancestors who were people of color uh, had slaves. And there is no shame in that. You have to just recognize that that was the economic system of the time. That's how you came up. And that's how you survived and took care of your needs and your family. Today, we have a very different economic system. Uh, some would say that it's still a type of slavery, but, you know, that's another story, another topic. But we have to look at people did what they needed to do in order to survive. We have to think that uh, the ancestors that came over from Europe, there was a, a lot going on. There was a lot of terrorism. You had the Inquisition. Uh, you had, uh, you had uh, serfdom where people were not able to live freely. They weren't able to practice their spiritual principles and live the way that they wanted to live. So just like today, people are risking their lives to get over here to this free country. It was no different back then. So begin to understand who you are, where you come from, and begin to look at that. Begin to heal it. Heal the experiences of your ancestors and heal the experiences of those who are coming behind you, your descendants. We have to remember that all of our experiences, again, are stored in our very DNA. And when you become aware of them, they are no longer unconscious. When they become conscious, then you are able to do something about it. And you're able to free yourself and your family for generations. This is the work of Beyond Hypnosis. All of my clients are working through trauma. All of us are. And some of that trauma, we don't know where it came from. And oftentimes it's trauma that is generational. And so learning about who you are deep in your history helps to open your eyes so that you can actually take charge and do something about it. I'm Tamara, your host, and I'm super excited about our topic today. We have a very special guest. He is definitely a luminary. You know, I have to have people on who are making a wonderful difference on the planet. You know, we're in a very challenging time right now. It's a time of awakening. And as you know, knowledge is springing up out of nowhere. And one of the most important things that we need to be understanding, especially as Americans, is who we are. And that means understanding our true history, not the agreed upon story, but the real history. 
And our guest today, Curry Mayo, is an American historian. I don't know if he'd call himself that, but I definitely believe that he is one of the great American historians of true American history. He's also a genealogist. And he's a fellow gardener. <laughs> and so we're going to talk a little bit about our gardens too. But right now we're going to get right to the point of all of this and the importance of it. So welcome to the show, Curie Mayo. And I thank you for joining us here on the Illuminations Media Network. Hey, hello, everybody. Uh, well, uh, Tamara, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Excited. Yeah. I'm super excited because I am uh, a huge uh, fan of your YouTube channel. I mean, this brother has, I, I don't know, how many videos do you have up there about American history? I mean, it's got to be, I don't know, it's got to be at least 400. <laughs> well, I wish I had that many, but um, no, it's uh, at least uh, close, I think, uh, over 200. Yeah. Okay, okay, well, it's... it's quickly approaching that um they are in depth this man goes to old books curry what is the importance of going back into the old books to get true history well um in my case my personal experience is you know when i started going into the uh primary sources the original sources that they quote in in our school textbooks I realized there was so much being left out. You know, um, they'll probably quote a paragraph out of a 600-page book. So we have 600 other pages that we don't even know uh, of information that you know, we could have used that is helpful, that will help us uh, understand better the history here and, and who was here and what really happened. So I, I took the initiative to go back and uh, look for these sources myself and see if they were actually... Uh, like a, like fact-checking, making sure that um, that is what they were saying. And a lot of the times, you know, you find that it's saying it in a different way. And the way they're giving it to you, it's a whole, with a, with a whole different uh, perspective that they want you to, like, think about. So, um, yeah, it's very important, I think, to actually fact-check and uh, go to the source yourself and interpret the information yourself. And, and you do an awesome job of, of giving those who are enthusiastic about studying history, you actually give the references. You actually give the information so that they can go back in and find it for themselves. Because certainly that is the best way to ascertain and really get, get the deep uh, overstanding and understanding of information is to get it yourself, right? You can, you can hear another person's perspective, but you've got to do your own deep research. And, and I'm uh, kudos to you for doing that because there are a lot of people who will share information. They will quote others, but they're not going to give you the source. And and so that's something that I so appreciate about what you are doing, for sure, you know. Yes, I think it's very important to uh, show it, you know, show that it's real and have people be able to follow for it. Well, you know, Curie, we are all here Americans, and we know that America is a huge melting pot. <laughs> um, we've got people of all colors. We've got all religions here. I mean, this is what America was really founded upon, you know, a, a land of uh, freedom where you can actually be who you are, 
you know. I think we do pretty well in that, you know, looking at the mix of people that are here. Um, but in your studies and, and what you share, we've got an even deeper mix of people that um, that that is just speaking to the richness of who we are. You know, a lot of a lot of hidden genealogy uh, that you bring out. I mean, you you break it on down. You you go into the the Moors. You go into the Hebrews. You go into um, the I, I think we would call them. Um, the, the Mongolian people that came over, maybe across the Bering Strait. Um, we go into the so-called Negro people who are also indigenous here. Um, the Huguenots. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, everybody was already here, you know, in the beginning. You know, and you, if you would, please uh, go into um, who they found here when the Spanish people showed up in South and Central America first. Yeah, uh, well, I'll try to summarize, um, you know, so yeah, I guess, um, as you were saying, a melting pot, right? And um, the thing is, it's been a melting pot for ages, not, not just when Europeans arrived or when it's colonizing. America is very ancient. Um, it'll it'll become mainstream information soon. That you know, history is going to be rewritten soon. Um, when we're talking about an old world, a true old world, and, and, and cradles of civilization, and agriculture, um, all kinds of things. You know, everything that we can think about today that we use uh, that we always credited. You know, Mesopotamia ancient Egypt, you know, the Greeks, Romans, all those civilizations, but actually there was an origin to all their uh, history or how they picked up all their mythology, you know, to us, they gave us mythology, but it was, it was real, real things happening, you know, this mythology ended up here in ancient America, and we're talking about melting pot, you know, we're talking about that, this is a, an older world, and, and, and the reason that they come and find so many influences of old world culture here, like you know, out of out of place artifacts, uh, or they'll find an Egyptian script or a Sumerian script or a Hebrew script or anything like that all over the Americas. You know, they're finding um, copper, bronze, uh, all that in Europe. You know, they're like, where do they get it? Because it's not even local. It's so pure. Uh, that what they had the Greeks and Romans and then you come to find out that uh, the only place where it's so pure like that is here in the States and Michigan and you find the uh, excavated mines from all long time ago and you know right, these things are not told to us so uh, yeah there was all kinds of people here before the Europeans arrived you know um, it's not a one you can be generalized. You can't generalize the Americans. Uh, you know, it's a whole continent. We come from South America, Central America, North America. It wasn't just one people. It wasn't just one phenotype. It wasn't just one hair type. It wasn't just one complexion. You know, we had many shades of what they would say the copper color races. Uh, copper can be very light. Copper can be very dark. You know, you know, so all kinds of phenotypes and stuff. And that that is reflected today around the world. And uh, we, we assume that, that you know. People originate in one place only. This it's more deeper than that, and that's what we're learning. And uh, it's all leading back, you know, to to uh, a same origin. And, and and all these myths and all these legends, are, you know, all these so-called sunken lands, all these uh, paradises, Atlantis, all that. Um, we're trying to realize that it was all here. 
And interesting, in in your research, you you speak about how uh, it was actually um, the the native Mayans here in America that seeded Egypt over in the over in Africa, and that everything began here. And and that is something that flips history on its head. You you even speak about how many of the animals that they attributed to like say the horse that the that the spanish brought the horse over that the horse was indigenous to america that yes. there are many animals like the camel you know you brought out is indigenous here um and and so looking at all of that um we have to really let go of old um old misconceptions about what's really going on um and so I would just love for you to share a, a little bit more about why um, and, and what you found that the, say, the pyramids that we know here. We've got how many pyramids here in America, North and South America, versus how many pyramids are over there in Africa in, uh, in ancient Kemet. Um, it, it's just mind-blowing. It, it, it speaks directly to what you're saying that it happened here first yes uh, yeah regarding you know the pyramids i mean just uh, alone in uh, north america the smithsonian back in 1800 1900s you know when they were doing their surveys they they found at least 200,000 mounted you know structures in north america alone uh, and then we go to uh, central america and south america we can get these uh, major city complexes, you know, these megalithic pyramid structures, these temples that they can't even replicate today. Uh, and, you know, they'll let us know, they'll try to tell us that it's uh, more modern, but it's really a lot older. Um, you see a lot of uh, things you don't see in Egypt, like uh, you do see pyramids over there, maybe three, and, uh, but you, you're missing the, the, the sports complex, you're missing the hospitals, you're missing the universities, the canals, the, the highways. You know, we have that all right here, and it, they're finding that right now as we speak in the Guatemala jungles, you know. Uh, they're rewriting history. They're saying it's going to take 100 years to just go through what they're finding right now in, in the Petan region in Guatemala with their lighter technology. You know, when we're talking about pyramids, um, you know, alone, the Pyramid of Cholula in the Guinness World Record is one of the largest monuments ever built by men. It's the largest pyramid the base is four times bigger than the one in Giza. Um, and it's not the taller, but we have also have La Danta, Mirador, in Guatemala, the pyramid there, which is the tallest in the world and also one of the biggest structures ever built. It's a whole city complex, you know, as big as Los Angeles, and it's all under the jungle. Uh, these things uh, are is what, you know, was never told to us, whether they're, you know, they didn't know about it or they just didn't dig it out or didn't want to explain to us, you know, why knows, but these things are reality. Uh, again, this is going to become mainstream soon. And uh, the number of pyramids here in the Americas does not compare to Africa or Asia, you know, even though they're all over the world, like you were saying earlier, uh, you know, we brought that knowledge of architecture uh, from here. Um, the only way you can settle down and create a civilization, have the time to settle down and build pyramids, build sports complex, build all this stuff. It's because you have agriculture. You're not a hunter-gatherer. You're not on the move. You were able to settle down. And 
when you realize that it was corn, the very first thing humans used to help them settle down, and you realize corn is native to America, then again, it all leads back in. Wow, yeah. And, and as I mentioned earlier, too, not only are you a deep researcher of, you know, the, the anthropology, you know, a re- researcher on the botany, but you also look deep into the genealogy and that history about the slave trade. There's a lot of misconception about that and about who were slaves, you know, were there, indig- were there uh, indentured servants, who owned slaves. I mean, you, you even go into the fact that um, before there was slavery coming from West Africa over to America, there was slavery coming from Portugal, from America to Africa. Can mm-hmm. we go into that a little bit and clarify? Yeah, uh, so when we were talking about earlier about reading primary sources, uh, one of the things I realized when I was doing all this research and seeing what the actual Spanish wrote and where they were going, where their ships were going and who they were enslaving at that time, what they were saying in their own words. And definitely, I mean, we didn't see much of them going into Africa, um, you know, to get their uh, free labor or indentured servants or in Spanish they call their encomiendas. So yeah, there was a they the sugar plantations uh, that was mainly started in Morocco, North Africa first. This was uh, being managed by Sephardic and Moorish people, you know, from a long time ago. And they were the ones in the commerce doing trade and all that. Um, they had established plantations in, in, in North Africa. They had later moved on to the, the west coast. Uh, Africa, the islands that are there, Datas, the Canary Islands, the Azores, Cape Verde, and St. Thomas, St. Thomas up the coast of Guinea. And um, they they had become very successful. They were very expert at, uh, you know, these Sephardic Portuguese, uh, Spaniard Jews at creating uh, plantations and sugar plantations. They brought that knowledge over to South America. And there they were using uh, American Indians as slaves and uh, whether it was, the, if it was the Sephardic Jews running it, they were using the, the labor. Um, when it came to the point where Sephardic Jews and Moors were being kicked out of Spain and Portugal, right when Columbus was coming, 1492, um, you know, a lot of these people were also uh, put in under servitude, prisoners of war, convicts, uh, you know, they were sent into St. Thomas and the plantation. So a lot of the free labor early on was, was their own people, people they wanted to get rid of from their own country and the American Indians that they were coming uh, put under servitude. Um, they, there is no ship manifest of them going to Africa. There is no local stories of tribes saying they came in with millions. You know, this is something that was all added on after. Um, you know, we still haven't found any ships coming directly and it's a fact that no ships came directly from Africa to USA. Um, the official stories, right, the mainstream stories is that they all went into the Caribbean. But we're still told today that there's ships that came directly to Africa. So even that, you know, there's a lot to dig into. Um, when it comes to um, then who are the uh, so-called uh, African-Americans right, uh, of today, uh, if it was in Africa they were coming from, then I, I, I would say that in, in, there's a lot of... Uh, 
different nations that came. It wasn't about color. So what I'm trying to say is if you had German, Irish, Scottish, ancestry, for example, it doesn't mean they were all white. And that's the other thing we're learning. You know, many, many hundreds of thousands of black Europeans came as indentured servants, um, colonists, uh, you know, prisoners of war, convicts, conquistadors. And they came and had an ancestry here too. And a lot of that is in the genealogy of many of the so-called African-Americans. So they're not just the American Indian. And that's something big we're finding out. And when you, when I try to do the history to see if it matches what I'm learning, it, it, it does. Um, you start finding out that the very first slaves were actually indentured servants from Europe. It wasn't from Africa. This is all recorded. You can go to Virginia and I get all the, uh, the records there of the ship manifest, what they were doing, uh, giving land grants, uh, when they were colonizing, bringing people over uh, in all kinds of ways uh, to try to settle and colonize. They needed free labor. Uh, so they made it a business, a venture. And that's what these places are called companies, like the Plymouth Company, the Virginia Company. These are companies. They had ventures. They had it all mapped out and planned out. They didn't take risk. A business doesn't take a risk and go, hey, let's go try to go to Africa. Uh, we might get shot, we might die, we might not get anything, we might just get one. Um, you know, and then have to travel for, you know, like two, two, four weeks, six to four to six weeks, you know, uh, and, and feed everybody, give them water and food and all that. It's just, it doesn't, the story does, if we think logically, it doesn't make sense. And then there's, there's no sources of proof for it. And then we find other proof and sources telling us hundreds of thousands of people coming from somewhere else. And then we realize these are not all white people. So it starts giving us a, a clearer picture. And I'm sorry I dragged on. It's just like a lot to summarize. It, it really is. And, and uh, again, I just admonish listeners and viewers to make sure that you go to Curry Mayo's uh, YouTube channel. It is so in-depth. He has everything broken down into playlists according to topic. Um, there's just so much there. And you're going to spend hours and you're going to be so grateful just as I am. Uh, I actually had um, the privilege of uh, getting Curry Mayo's help with my genealogy. And I was blown away. I went in there looking for Kunta Kente. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't found Kunta Kente. I was very surprised to find um, people from Germany, um, people from Scotland. Um, I, I'm still looking for the native ancestry, which I have some, um, some narratives and stories in the family, so I don't know. But I, but I did find uh, a lot of stuff from Europe that I wasn't expecting. And um, the recognition that they were not necessarily, quote unquote, white Europeans, you know, that now many of them, you know, were perhaps and probably uh, people of color who were leaving Europe. And, and, and what that takes me to next, Curimeo, is looking at that relationship of what was happening in uh, the Iberian Peninsula there with Spain. And with Portugal, uh, where they had the Moors there, who had ruled for quite a quite a while, um, the connection between the the Jews and the Moors there, and how they were ousted because of the papal 
edicts and <laughs> the decisions that were made with the Inquisition. And so I'd just love for you to break that down, how these people who needed to survive, needed to flee, you know, did what they had to do and changed their identities, morphed into other peoples. <laughs> and these are the people that came to America. I, I just find that so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, putting all that together was uh, not easy. But um, as as I was doing my research, I kept running into like terms and these different types of people, like Huguenots, uh, Protestant, Presbyterians, New Christians, and they were always kind of refugees fleeing or being persecuted. Um, and I did the deep research. I realized, like for example, the Huguenots, uh, they were from France. They were on the Calvinist reformist uh, ideas um, and um, these people were actually originally supporting Jews and Moors, Muslim Moors that were being that had been uh, expelled from Spain and Portugal. And one thing one. I just want I want to interject there to make sure that that uh, people understand that you know in your research these uh, Portuguese and Spanish Jews were described as, black people so we're not talking about the the germanic ashkenazi jews that we have over in israel now we're talking about um black jews and moors right correct correct so historically it was a the general consensus at the time and those and, and primary sources from those times that the sephardic jews the sephardic people the jewish people so-called jewish um were people of color they're described as very dark, very dark complexion. Um, so we know, uh, based on mainstream history, that the supposed Moors right, invaded Europe in 711 AD. Um, we know this is written that the uh, they were held by the Jews coming uh, conquered because they had a common enemy at the time, who was ruling Spain. So they actually lived very prosperous under this Muslim rule hundreds of years. The Sephardic Jews had titles as Nazi or princes of you know and they were you know they were the ones helping commerce. They they were involved also with the Moors in the silk routes of trades and all that going to Asia in ancient times. So that all those years of that monopoly, that control, eventually by the time it came into colonial times where they were starting to come to America, they already had a monopoly. These people, they were the ones, they were the merchants, they were the ones uh, in the seas. Um, even before Columbus came, they already had trade with Indians in Brazil, North America. As we know, we found, uh, you know, Turkey and corn um, in, in England and Wales and all that. And they have their stories where they got it from. And we already know about Prince Modoc and all those legends of them coming over here and the Vikings and all that uh, before Columbus. So we know there was a trade going on in that part of the world, North, Northeast America and, and Europe. And we know that the South American people since ancient times had been going over, as we mentioned earlier, you know, Mayas and everybody, there was already ancient trade. People knew of the Americas. It wasn't like Columbus was the first guy. He didn't discover, you can't discover something where there's already people, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not the first one. Uh, he wasn't lost. Uh, you know, he knew it was in India. He knew where he was coming. <laughs> yes, yes. No, he, 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 because of his Sephardic connections, 
this is a future video you know there's a little clue right here it's columbus the real name is something else and um you know columbus uh christopher's title that means the christ bearer he who brings the christ you know and so he has a different name he was a sephardic dude from portugal not not an italian you know navigator so you know he was uh he had moorish blood as well you know so these people a lot a lot of moors in his ship when they came over here they knew where they were coming from there there are people already doing business with the South American Indians and, you know, back and forth. That's, that's also a future video that's been recorded. And that's the, the, just following the, uh, the sea currents, they bring you right over here. Uh, I mean, while they're from America, right over there, it's very, it's a lot easier than back than the other way. It's a little, a little harder. So, uh, even that, so we know that, you know, even if, if they got lost at sea or they got caught in the, in the, in the jet stream or, one of those uh, ocean currents, they, they ended up in Europe or in the West Coast, the Canary Islands or something like that, and Azores. And Portuguese controlled all that. They had the stories they uh, of Indians washing up there all the time. And that, that, was, you know, that was all recorded. So they, they knew there was a land over there. Uh, he wasn't lost. Uh, India didn't exist at that time. It wasn't called India. So he couldn't just say Indians because of India. So it was called Hindustan. You know, India just became a country republic like in the 1940s. So that's, you know, so like facts we don't really think about. Like these, so when people talk about India back in 1500s, what India? You know, India was called Hindustan. So it wasn't, didn't even exist. So, you know, it's a whole, another big story there about Columbus and stuff. But again, there was trade going on back and forth. These uh, Sephardic Jews and Moors had this knowledge. That's why they got here. Um, they were the first colonists. They were the very first colonists in North, South, Central America, the Sephardic Jews and Moors. They were the very first colonists. In Virginia, a lot of these people were people of color. These first settlers of Jamestown, the first pilgrims, a lot of them were these people, these Protestants. Um, that's what the Haganauts were. They became Protestants or new Christians. They didn't want to become Catholics because they were crypto-Jews or crypto-Muslims, you know, Moriscos or Moranos. But they had to practice their thing in secret and they would always assimilate where they would go. And they would eventually create an epicenter, the Sephardic Jews that got expelled from Spain in uh, Holland. They called that New Jerusalem. They became the Dutch. And that's why the Dutch had so much involvement in, in colonization and navigation because it was really the Sephardic Jews who were in, in Holland doing that. And they were eventually owners of all the ports all over the Atlantic. They were called the Port Jews. And they had uh, connections and communities all over, and they had a whole trade network. Um, and so the governments, the, they were called, well, the, the empires, because they're not even governments, like the Catholic Empire or King James or anybody who was like uh, Ferdinand, who was in control of a lot of these uh, Sephardic Jews, because they were still fleeing from them. So they would allow them to go settle in and then run the business for them. And eventually they will go and take, they took everything from them. They just took control of everything, you know, so they kind of lost to a lot. And even when they got to the Americas, they were very um, populated in the Brazil area first and the West Indies, Caribbean. And then they moved up to South Carolina and New York. It was very first colonists in New York, you know, these people. And a lot of these, again, were people of color. So it's a whole history we've not told. There, there certainly is. And... 
And one thing you're, you're speaking about, you know, the, the early times, the monarchs, um, many of these monarchs, especially in that Iberian Peninsula, were people of color. And so we, we have to recognize that it wasn't about uh, a black-white thing then. It was about money. It was about economics. And, and you've also uh, brought to the fore and to the light that uh, King James, um, his, his son, um, they were people of color. But, but now when we see a lot of the, the art, you know, the, um, the so-called modernist, modernistic art that we see of, of, of royals, um, they're all whitewashed. And so my question is, is certainly if you, if you had, you know, people of color, you know, who were in the ruling class, when did things start to change uh, so that whitewashing could take place? And then, and then do you think that that has something to do with the whole idea of creating a slave class according to color? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's a deep question. Uh, that's kind of something we, um, you know, we're digging on. We know it happened a lot sooner. Um, what, what I'm saying is, before the 1700s, or you know, uh, actually before the 1800s, most of the Europeans that were coming in were were colored, and and um, yeah, we, we know this because of the, especially because of doing genealogy, tracing people's back uh, back to the 1700s, and there in, in this town, you know, the settlers in this town, and you know, where's the uh, is a people of color. We just had their son being, being labeled black. So, you know, there's no proof of it than being the slave master or anything. It doesn't say nothing like that. You know, we got the records of census we're saying son. I mean, it doesn't, so anything else could be conjecture. So, so many people going back like that. We know these are the actual people. These are not uh, inherited from slave masters or white people. These are the actual people that carry this name. You know, the actual ancestors. So we, we see that, you know, after the 1830s, there was a lot of revolutions going on in Europe. It's called the revolutions of the 1830s. You can Google that. Um, it's what, 30 years later, we got the Civil War. We got the slave uh, being emancipated in America. So there was a lot going on in the 1800s. When you do the genealogy, uh, there is like a little barrier in the 1800s, you know, you know and, um, you know, if you can get break, Past that, you start getting historic, and that's where they don't, you know, you're supposed to be back in Africa. And when you don't end up in Africa, that's what they're trying to, trying to not, they don't even want you to get that far right there. Um, again, because we see that, uh, we know King James, you know, old pictures of him. We know that the steward means swarthy. We know the descriptions of these people are being described as dark skin, dark complexion, black, swarthy, and all these uh, old accounts, books from the 1700s. Um, so we know that 1700s, uh, Benjamin Franklin also is confirming that all these people are still colored, most of Europe. So uh, I'm, I would say, in my opinion, I can't, you know, but I'm concluding that it happened in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. um, and then we get a conclusion of mass migration here in the 1890s and 1920s. That's Ellis Island, New York. Get a lot of light-skinned Europeans that came, but... When we talk about original Europeans coming, it was mostly people of color. Fascinating. 
And, you know, one thing that I've been so curious about, um, and I'm a student of the Bible, and uh, I, I like to read a lot of ancient scriptures from different uh, belief systems. And it just seems like a lot of this history uh, that's happening, especially uh, around the Hebrews, the, the, the Jews, um, that forensic evidence in archaeology is actually um, showing up from what we've seen in the Bible. And so a lot of these, these Bible stories of things that happened with Abraham, with the Exodus, things that happened in Egypt, um, are showing up as actually happening here in America. What have been your findings on that? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I had the same thought and I was finding the same thing. So when I started doing my own personal research, everything just started confirming. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I learned a lot from watching other videos too and learning from other people and, and they were concluding so many things and I was just so amazed. I was like, ah, I was thinking the same thing and I couldn't believe somebody was proving it, something I already had thought. So I was like, if this is something I thought and then, you know, I just thought it was a belief I had and actually it's true, then what else do I believe in could be true? So that's why I started my journey and, uh, you know, especially with the Hebrew part, you know, uh, knowing that this was a true old world and, and my own thought, that, you know, that would tell me that, you know, if we go biblical, then, you know, we have the Hebrews living here, the Canaanites, you know, a lot of these old, old world nations living here too. And uh, when we learned about the American Indian traditions and culture and everything, we noticed so much similarities as it was written in the Old Testament about how the Israelites and you know, even even the other nations lived. Because there was not just, like I said earlier, we can't just generalize like the Americas was one people. Many nations here, many nations. So if there was Hebrews, yes. So who was the Hebrews' neighbors? Yeah, they were here too. You know, so... It's not just, a, oh, everybody's a Hebrew, everybody's a Canaanite, everybody's a Moabite, everybody's Ham. You know, it's not like that, you know. So, yes, uh, the Indians, uh, their migration stories, the way they worship, the way they live, the ceremonies, the way they um, raise their children, the way they eat, everything was kind of like the same. We, we show numerous references of when the Europeans arrived here, both the white and black Europeans and what they were recording and seeing. And they lived amongst the Indians, some of them for up to 40 years. There was no doubt in their mind who they had found. And they were describing these people as the lost tribes of Israel. Many of these tribes, you know, and or they would say that they had been influenced from the old world. The Jews had come or the Phoenicians uh, had come and taught them Hebrew because they're finding Hebrew script, uh, script over here. Uh, they're finding Hebrew words in the language. When the Columbus in them came, he brought an interpreter, Luis Torres, who spoke Hebrew, Chaldean, and Arabic. Um, and, and, you know, he was able to communicate with the Indians. So, you know, it's uh, it was a common uh, language here somewhere. And, you know, it wasn't from their side. It was from over here already. So, Interesting. Yeah. A it lot, is a lot very of, fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Because we have to keep in mind the the Indians, um, that wasn't the name they called themselves. <laughs> they didn't call themselves Indians, no. you know. Um, this was a label that was given, you know, by those who colonized. And uh, I just find yes. it interesting. And and that, you know, brings me to, you know, the the idea of the of the different Judaic wars 
that happened where people were um, were exiled to different places, you know, and people were moved around that that if that happened here, you know, that speaks to a lot of things that make sense because because we know that um, in Illinois, there are hundreds of pyramids, <laughs> right? Yes. All in the South, there are the mounds, which, you know, are also essentially pyramids. And so a lot of the, uh, even the Mississippi River, you know, was that what was being referred to as the Nile, you know, and, and was the Nile really the Nile? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's all so mind-blowing and it's it's important for us to kind of just wash our brains, you know, of what we've yeah. been in- indoctrinated to believe and look at everything with a fresh eye, yes. you know? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. So, you know, there's so much, uh, not just in Illinois, but we know that it, that whole area is called Little Egypt. We know Cairo and Memphis and all these names exist there. Um, we know that there's mountains all through the, the Mississippi going from, you know, the bottom all the way up. Uh, even in other parts, there's so many mounds and even the ones they destroyed. Um, so when we know the etymology of words, when we study the etymology of words, we know that um, Egypt, you know, Egypt is a Greek word or Aegyptus, that was one of their gods. Uh, he was actually the, the son of Belus. Aegyptus is the son of Belus. Uh, also, Aegyptus uh, goes to uh, house of Kitao, Ha. House of Ta, the Temple of Ta, right? Meaning a temple that was in Memphis. What Memphis? So it, Which one? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. because it's not a landmass, uh, it's not specific. Egypt does not me- specifically mean a landmass in Africa. It has a specific etymology, the Temple of Pita. That doesn't tell me anything about the location. Okay, and there so, could be more than one. I mean, we, we yeah. know that. That, you know, as we spoke to earlier, that the Mayans are the ones that seeded the Egypt that's in Africa, that mm-hmm. perhaps they took things with them and moved things. I mean, of course, mm-hmm. the colony, yeah. right? American colony, yeah. Just like the American colonies, they, they named New York, well, right? When, New when we, Amsterdam. We, exactly. Mm-hmm. And when we read the Egyptian mythology and when we read books like the Book of the Dead and all that, based on their own history, we know that they called their land to marry. They didn't call it Egypt. Based on their history, they called it to marry, right? And um, we know that when they're talking about their gods and mythology, they all call them the Westerners, that they came from a distant Western land. And they're one of their main gods who helped civilize and found Egypt was Thoth. Thoth is referred to being as a, from a Westerner. He's referred to being from a lake of fire. There is no exact location where he was born. It's not Egypt. It wasn't in their land. They admit this in their own writings. You study Egyptology, you know, based on what they translated. You know, we're talking about German people translating, supposedly, the hieroglyphics. So we got to base, trust them. They translated all the hieroglyphics. And so they're telling us, based on their translation of the Book of the Dead, that Thoth is uh, from the Lake of Fire. He's from a place in distant Western land, the underworld, right? Because it's coming from where the sun sets of the West. And there was a Lake of Fire, meaning there was two volcanoes. He lived in a city in a lake, as says in the books of the day, in a city in a lake with two volcanoes surrounding it. When you look into the history, 
if there's a place like that in America, I, I found, I mean, we know that Tenochtitlan, where Mexico City yesterday, that was a lake. Tenochtitlan was founded on a lake. And there's two volcanoes overlooking it. There's this is part of the mythology. So this is the same mythology as in the Book of the Dead. Even in, when you go to esoteric uh, sources or whatever you want to call it, New Age or uh, even wisdom, <laughs> some people, uh, we go to the Emerald Tablets of Doth. He lets you know he came from Atlantis. He brought the knowledge and the science over to Kem, the sons of Kem, Hem, the sun rises to, to the east, to the cave dwellers. He called them the cave dwellers. And so we can go many angles with this, but it's always going to lead back to the same stories that we have over here. That's, that's what I'm saying. So Nile in Greek means great river. Mm -hmm. Nile doesn't mean a landmass in Africa. Right? <laughs> right. When, when we break down the etymology of uh, Mississippi, it's an Ojibwe, Ojibwe word, and it means great river. Wow. Exactly the same. But which one are we talking about? When we know corn is from here, and we know Egyptians have corn and all that, then you just got to put everything together. Have it put it yeah. all together. And, and you know, when you mentioned um, about Thoth and where he was from, um, I remembered reading the Emerald Tablets years ago, and um, supposedly he was from Atlantis. And, yes. And you bring about that, that whole etymology, the connection of Atlantis and Azatlan. Same place? Perhaps? Well, the um, ATL, they, they don't know. Okay, so historians will say they don't know how the Greeks got the name Atlantis. Where, where is their etymology? Because it's not part of their language. The ATL is Nahuatl. That's an American thing. Nahuatl, yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. The Tis is just a Greek added. So Atalan, Tis. Atalan, Atalan, Atalan. Yeah, Atalan, Tis. Yeah, so Atlantis was one of the main centers. You know, um, there was many colonies. Atlantis was just a, like a tag. It was basically referring to this huge kingdom that's all on this side. You know? So that would speak to why you have these structures, you know, the, these religions mm -hmm. that are similar because these are colonies that spread. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very fascinating. Well, you know, <laughs> we, we could go all day here and... Um, <laughs> And I, and I know that, uh, that you have lots to do. You are a father. You are, you're a gardener. You have a farm over there. I, yeah. uh, I saw one of your shares that you had created a greenhouse. How's that going? That's going really good. It's awesome. Um, you know, I pick things every day. Uh, I harvest things every day. Like today, I just grabbed some uh, cabbage and uh, a celery. Uh, yesterday, lettuce, the other day, tomatoes, jalapenos, peppers, yeah, corn, you know, it's it's going, I'm learning I'm, as I go, uh, different plants, I ordered a lot of seeds uh, from Amazon, so it's, it's fun, it keeps me busy, I have eggs every day, uh, you know, I have chickens, so yeah, I guess I'm getting into the farming, it's, it helps me with my stress, it helps me just uh, keep my mind uh, away from also just sitting on the computer, all day editing or doing this, so right. I go out there. Yeah, uh, it's fun. I recommend anybody who has land to go ahead and do it and try it. You know, you never know. It might be a green thumb. 
Well, I love it. I know that you're in Central America. You've probably got year-round growing weather. Well, I'm here in Seattle, and so <laughs> our growing season is a little limited, but I've got several raised beds out there. I just uh, kind of started up because, you know, we just got past our last frost, so I was able to put some things out. So I've got peas coming up. I've got my spinach, all of my greens. I've got bok choy, tot choy. Hmm. Um, tomatoes, um, just everything. Waiting for the peppers. Yeah. Peppers like it hot, though, so we're going to save yeah. those. <laughs> well, I, I, I think it becomes an ancestral thing, you know, as, ah. as we're talking about history and we're talking about farming and, his, and history, so we can uh, mix it in uh, just one fact uh, that anybody can look up. Uh, you know, we're talking about a cradle of, of civilization or a cradle of man, not just civilization. Um, we know that the uh, Geologists found the oldest land out of those primordial waters, supposedly, in Canada. Uh, this is the most famous geologist, Louis Agassiz. He said that America's actual oldest continent. Um, that will conclude with uh, finding out that we domesticated my East over 10,000 years ago. They, they found fossilized corn 10,000 years old. Uh, in Squatch, 8,000 BC up in Illinois. Wow. You don't find fossilized things this old in Mesopotamia over there on that side of it, ever. They just tell us. They never right. give us nothing. Um, but you can find all this here. And in, uh, in Africa, out of 640 food crops they have, you know, 600 of those are of American origin. <laughs> the colonies, they went over there, took their yeah. food with them, right? Taking yeah, some so, seeds with them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, we feed the world, but you know, uh, you know, it's a little forgotten history there, and that's why farming to some of us comes natural. Yeah, yeah I love it. I, I have to put my hands in the soil. There's just this connection uh, that really happens. It's a great place to meditate. You know. Well, well. Last thing, I just want to make sure that our our listeners and our viewers um, know where to find you. Um, I know that you do have your, uh, your research channel, um, and then you're also adding on to that. We're actually going to be um, working on some spirituality and, uh, and actually having guests on your show. Um, you want to share a little bit about that and, and how people can find you? Uh, yeah, um, well, um, my YouTube channel. Well, actually, <laughs> and the first thing you can do if, if you have Google, just put Cootie Mail is K. U-R-I-M-E-O. Uh, it's like, luckily, I'm the only one in the world with that name so far. So that'll come up right away. You'll see my different uh, social medias, which I don't have much. It's just my YouTube and my Instagram. I have a Twitch account, and I have some blogs here and there. You guys can check out and images. But my YouTube channel is by the same name, Kuri Mail, Ahau, A-H-A-U. That's the space in between. Uh, and my Instagram is Kuri Mail space con k-h-a-n i uh, got some great images colorized of uh, photos of american indian old photos what they really look like uh, this is colorized version of compilation you can check it out um you can reach me on any of those platforms yeah like to ask me any question my email is cootie mail but this is with a c cootie mail with a c c-u-r-i-m-e-o 777 at gmail.com 
And, and one last thing, I just can't, I have to ask this because I don't know, I've got my ideas about reincarnation and all, but Kurimeo, that image that you have right here on, on Zoom. Yes. Where is that from? He looks just like you. <laughs> that's uh, that's the, uh, from Mexico. That's uh-huh. uh, uh, Maya culture from uh, AD 100. They, they're given the uh, pottery. Uh, and uh, yeah, when I saw it, I'm like, wow, <laughs> it looks familiar. So I just like, uh, I thought it was cool and I saved it. Yeah, that's really nice. Real nice. Well, everyone, Kurimeo, thank you so much for being a part of the show. And I, I just thank all of the viewers and listeners for tuning in. And uh, until next time, I'm Tamara, your host. Peace and blessings and take good care. <laughs>